Welcome to the Living the Dream Podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Welcome to the Living the Dream with Curveball Podcast, a show where I interview guests that teach, motivate, and inspire. Today, I am joined by mental health guru and author, Brian Sachetta. Brian is the author of the Get Out of Your Head book series. This series is a collection of personal works that help the reader focus on overcoming various forms of mental illness. So we're going to be talking to him about mental illness and why he decided to create this book series and what it's all about. So Brian, Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Curtis. Why don't you start off by telling everybody a little bit about yourself? Happy to do that. Brian Suchetta, author, blogger, software developer from Boston, Massachusetts. I run a website slash book series slash brand called Get Out of Your Head. As you mentioned, Curtis, that's a mental health brand. So the mission, goal, purpose of the brand is to help folks who are battling mental illnesses such as anxiety and depression. I the the brand itself kind of came out of you know it was the result of you know me struggling with some of my own mental battles anxiety depression that sort of thing so you know wanted to take some of my experiences and the things that I learned along the way and provide those to readers and listeners in hopes of helping them through some of the difficulties that they are going through in their own lives. Well, I know lots of people go through mental illness, but what made you want to say, "Hey, I, I want to write about it." Yeah, it's a good question. It's definitely, it's one of those things where, you know, sometimes I say on podcasts like this one is that it's, it was a little bit of like an irrational sense of confidence, if that makes any sense. It was like, I was sort of, I had made a lot of progress with my own anxiety and I kind of realized that, you know, it was from, I really started battling anxiety or, or it came to the forefront in 2008. And then by the time 2015 rolled around, which was obviously a good amount of time, seven years there, I had made a lot of progress with the condition. And I just, I was both excited and relieved and also had just sort of, as I mentioned, like an irrational sense of confidence where I felt as though I actually could help people. And I wanted to teach some of the things that I learned and some, you know, share some of my insights and experiences with other people. I guess what's funny for me looking back now, right, is like, I think, uh, you know, when we're young or younger, we tend to, sometimes we can overestimate like, you know, how our own skills or something like that. And I think along the journey now, I feel as though, you know, I've, if I look back, I'm like in 2015, in some way, I feel as I felt as though I had it quote unquote, all figured out. And I think as I've gotten older and gone through, you know, some more battles of my own, I think you realize that like, maybe nobody has it all figured out, but at the same time, that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you can't share some of the progress that you have made with other folks. So I look back on it a little bit and I'm humbled a little bit, if that makes sense, uh, from the standpoint of like, you know, when I said, Hey, maybe I have all this stuff figured out. And then a few years later, you know, fell into depressive episode one, you know, sort of a battle with a disease that I thought that I had maybe gotten past it, it humbles you, right? It says, okay, maybe you don't know everything. And maybe let's, let's approach this stuff in a slightly more guarded fashion. But again, it's, it doesn't necessarily mean that, like, I guess, even having said the fact that I have struggled with these things over the course of time, 
I don't think that takes away from the ability to share what I have learned with other folks, right? Uh, we are all works in progress. We are all, you know, we all have our own struggles and battles and that sort of thing. And it's, so it's, it's the continual learning mindset and the things that I integrate into my own life and experiences that I continue to try to share with other folks. If you could give the listeners one strategy to be able to deal with anxiety, what would that strategy be? Your best strategy? Yeah. Uh, so why don't we, why don't I answer it slightly differently? I will give strategies, but I think there's a high level one and then there, there's a low level one. So the high level is like, if we approach anxiety from the standpoint of, you know, anxiety is basically future oriented fear. So, you know, let's step back and, and what does that mean? It's basically like fear is I am, you know, walking in the woods and there's a bear across my path right now. And I need to figure out like how to get away from that bear. Anxiety is future-oriented fear. So it's like, I'm afraid of maybe being in front of a bear in a few weeks or tomorrow or something like that. And so it's almost as if like, you know, and there are different ways that anxiety can come about, right? Like our body could react to something. We could be ruminating, overthinking about a certain subject or something like that. But I think one of the co most common ways that we get into anxiety or we experience anxiety is through overthinking. So the ethos of my brand, right? This high level strategy, when I say get out of your head, what I'm trying to say is the, the cycles in your mind, you know, the ones where you're wor over worrying, overthinking, those thought patterns tend to make you fearful, right? And then those lead to the, some of the bodily experiences that we associate with anxiety. So a fast heartbeat, sweaty palms, something like that. When I say get out, get out of your head and why that is the ethos of my brand is I'm saying, look, you know, I'm not necessarily, I'm not a doctor, right? So I can't, I can't diagnose, I can't treat, I can't provide medication to somebody, but I can, what I can do is I can focus on, you know, the parts of the anxiety equation that we can control or influence. And one of the biggest pieces of that is our thinking. So the high level strategy is like the idea that, you know, constantly chewing over something is never, especially something that makes us fearful in the first place is never going to help us alleviate our anxiety. I think Einstein said something like, you know, you can't solve a problem with the same level of consciousness that created it. That's the notion there, right? Is like, if, you know, some level kind of thinking made you anxious in the first place, that same style of thinking is not going to then carry you away from the fear. So that's the high level strategy is figure out a way to distract yourself, to get yourself out of your mind and to get out of your head. If, if I were to answer the actual question that you asked, which is like, what is the best strategy? Uh, I guess another sort of like multi-pronged multi answer is one, I think, I think that the challenge of answering that question is that different things work better for different folks, right? So I could say, this is the best strategy we have, but that might not work for everyone. And so that's why in my first book, which is, you know, get out of your head, a volume, excuse me, get out of your head, a toolkit for living with and overcoming anxiety. I throw a lot of different strategies at the reader in hopes of allowing them to build their own quote unquote anxiety toolkit or mental health toolkit, you know, a bunch of different strategies that they can pull out when they're fearful to help walk some of that fear back for me to finally answer the actual question. What I find is really helpful is box breathing. So box breathing is a specific kind of breathing. It's really just breathing with a pattern associated with it. So for some folks, it may be like, you know, the pattern may be breathe in for four seconds, hold for four seconds, breathe out for four seconds. There is some science behind 
breathing and, you know, getting into a calm state. It has to do with the autonomic, autonomic nervous system, the fight or flight system. And, you know, what we call either the parasympathetic nervous system or the, the feed and breed or rest and digest system. And so when we're breathing out deeply, we're activating the calming parts, parts of our nervous systems also allows us to, you know, the, the breathing itself, when we have some sort of pattern associated with it, if we're able to say, okay, in for four, hold for four, breathe out for four, it gives us somewhere else to place our focus other than the things that are scaring us. So it's a very simple concept. Obviously, it's not something that's you know earth shattering or mind blowing or something like that. But at the same time, I think, you know, I have used, you know, some sort of box breathing throughout anxiety provoking situations in my own life. And I think when other folks do as well, even though it's not rocket science, I think that they can find that it is pretty helpful. Well, let's talk about some tips for listeners to be able to deal with and try to overcome depression? Yeah. So, you know, depression, I think what I like to say, right, is, you know, I I wrote, I've written two books so far. The first one that we talked about already is on anxiety. The second one is on depression. What I like to say is like, I mean, both conditions are very, very challenging, right? Scary, make us feel really lousy. I think one of the things that maybe, and it, it varies for each person, at least what I have found with myself is that I can, I have an easier time getting out of an anxious state than a depressed one. I feel as though depression sometimes can be more pervasive. You know, it can kind of creep into every level of our lives and are at the very least push us down strongly enough that, you know, we don't necessarily feel as though we want to take action to try to improve our lots in life or, you know, change our state, make ourselves feel a little bit better. I will say that just because I find depression to get out of harder than anxiety, that doesn't necessarily mean that we can't get out of it. And there are a lot of different strategies that we could put forth to talk about or talk about in order to, you know, get past depression or manage depression. I think one that I like to talk about quite a bit is, you know, just physical activity, exercising. There's a lot of research studies that have been done over time that show that, you know, adhering to a physical activity plan, you know, some sort of exercise plan can be, and not always, but, you know, can be as helpful in the treatment of depression as psychiatric medication. And, you know, that's not to say if you're listening, that is not to say that, you know, because, you know, one strategy, you know, exercise and medicine, because, you know, one of them is more, is more powerful or equally, equally powerful than the other. Uh, It's not to say that like, you should go and drop your medication. I am absolutely not saying that. I think if anything, right, it's like, we want to try to heal ourselves or get past our depression as quickly as we can. And so in spirit of that, I think we want to, you know, with the recommendations of our doctors and the right people, we want to try out as many healing modalities as we can get our hands on and then see which ones work for us and leverage those ones in order, you know, to get past our dark states a little bit more quickly. So for me, I, you know, I try to exercise about five times a week. I find as though, you know, getting my body really moving can help me get out of my head, get back into my physiology and help me kind of take my mind off of some of the things that I'm dealing with. I find, you know, again, a simple, simple activity or a simple strategy, but exercise really can be effective in the treatment of depression or, or, you know, just battling depression in general. And some of the studies back that up. So it's an important one, even if it is, again, not necessarily rocket science. Besides overthinking, what are some of the common reasons that people experience anxiety as well as depression? Yeah. So there's, you know, there's, there are many different factors. And I guess, let me kind of step back and talk about my second book. So the second book, I wanted to write 
from a holistic standpoint, right? Basically saying that depression can manifest itself in many different ways or as the result as a result of many different factors. So I took a look at this this model that was put forth by a couple scientists in the 1970s called the biopsychosocial model, which basically seeks to say, uh, you know, a, a disease that, especially a mental illness uh, that we deal with, is going to be the result of the biological, the psychological, and the social aspects of our lives, right? So if we look at depression and we say, what, what does that mean in terms of the model that I, Brian just talked about? Biological would be, you know, your, your body itself, right? Do you, uh, do you have a brain that is predisposed to certain neurotransmitter activity that causes depression or leads to depression more often? Psychological would be your thoughts and beliefs, right? So that was kind of the, Curtis, when you said, how else can we you know, experience anxiety or depression other than overthinking? That overthinking you know, encompasses the psychological piece here. So that's kind of an overlap or a repeat of what we are, we've already said. And then the social aspect is kind of everything else in our lives, right? So you know, if somebody were to lose somebody very special to them, uh, that could be a way that they fall into depression. If somebody were to lose their job, or, you know, realize that they don't have a lot of close friends with whom they can share, you know, their deepest opinions, emotions, feelings, that sort of stuff, then it's very easy or it becomes easy or at the very least becomes quite possible for us to experience some, some form of despair. So it's, I think it's important to look at both anxiety and depression from a holistic standpoint in the sense that, you know, there's not just one entry path into each disease. There are several. And I think on the anxiety side, right? So even though we can sometimes overthink, we can put ourselves into anxiety via our, our thinking, our cognition. There is also right that, that biological side that in the sense that maybe our brains from the get-go, like maybe our, you know, we have genetics that predispose us to feeling anxious in general, or you know, the way that our brains were constructed, or you know, the, the way the genes came together, our brains, you know, we may have overactive amygdala, those are the fear centers of the brain. So in that sense, right? It could be that like, we don't necessarily overthink all, all that often, but maybe our internal alarm systems are quick to go off, right? Maybe as soon as we see something outside, that's not actually that threatening, our bodies just send us into a revved up state. And then from there, it's easy for us to fall into anxiety. So there are a lot of different paths into both diseases. And I think that talking about both of them from that holistic standpoint allows us to explore those things a little bit more. Somebody out there who might be experiencing anxiety or depression right now, what it, what tips or advice would you give them? Yeah, I think the, the most important thing to tell that person is that, you know, they are not alone. Or if, if you're listening now, you are not alone. There are lots of folks out there who are going through the same things that you are going through. And that is not to say, like, I don't say that to say like, hey, you know, you're not special. It's, it's to try to help you maybe see some solidarity in the, in the struggle, right? To say, hey, I'm right there with you. I've been through anxiety. I've been through depression. Right now, I'm not anxious. Right now, I'm not depressed. But I, I can almost guarantee you I will experience those things again in the future. So it's again, it's sort of like you know reaching out and kind of finding a shared humanity aspect or something like that. I think also just to remember that you know, your, your fears are not are not always accurate. And most of the time they aren't accurate, right? It's like some people say, when you believe, when you, when you doubt your beliefs, I'm trying to remember the exact line. It's like, uh, doubt your beliefs and believe your doubts, I think is what it is. Uh, you can get yourself into a, a really difficult or dark place. And so, you know, our minds, our minds aren't always our friends in the sense that they sometimes get us to believe those doubts, right? 
And I think being able to sometimes get out of our heads to step back and get perspective allows us to sometimes say, hey, maybe those things that I'm chewing over either aren't as important as maybe the weight that I'm assigning to them right now, or maybe they're not accurate, right? Maybe I got too close to the problem and I'm seeing it in a specific kind of way that isn't helpful. So, you know, it's it's difficult because it's right. It's like it's it's hard for me to say to a specific person, like, hey, you're dealing with depression, it'll be over next week. Like I I can't do that. I can't, I can't know that for sure. And I also can't make, you know, false promises. But what I can say is that I know that in time things will get better. And it's important to hold on to that idea because, you know, if you look at some of the scientific definitions of depression, right? Like people sometimes equate depression with learned helplessness or hopelessness. And I think that if you lose hope, it's very easy to fall into depression or to to continue on in a depressive state. So it's important to you know, remain optimi- optimistic to the degree that you can, even if that just means like, hey, one day it will get better. I'm not entirely sure how. And I guess just, you know, like from somebody like myself who has experienced these things before, I'm not going to sugarcoat things and say, again, you know, they'll, they'll get better next week. But, um, you know, people have, I guess, like, like myself, you know, people have been through some pretty rough patches. And I think that in life, there are different seasons, right? It's like, sometimes it's winter, sometimes it's summer. That doesn't, you know, that's not to downplay anything that somebody's going through, but just to remember to like, to hold on to the hope that, you know, summer will return because eventually it will. And I guess, you know, holding on to some of the strategies that we talk about in this podcast to do our best to try to apply them when it makes sense. Obviously not every day it's going to make sense or it's going to feel right to do so. You know, there are, there are definitely times where it's, it's hard, right? It's hard to get out of bed. It's hard to, you know, maintain a certain style of thinking, but the more we do that and the more we, you know, keep putting one foot in front of the other, I think the closer that we get to hopefully the end that is, that is almost in sight. Tell us the story behind your brand, because I noticed that your brand looks a little different than other brands in the space. So kind of give us the background of, of why that is. Yeah. So if you were to look at my website and the brand itself, so it's portrayed pretty well on the first book cover. So this is like, this is the word mark itself. If anybody is on the video feed, which is just, you know, basic get out of your head. And then the icon of the brand or the logo of the brand is a, is basically what I call a snake brain. So it's like a, a snake figure and then its head is a brain. And so it's a little different from, you know, many or several mental health brands in the sense that, you know, there aren't, in the color scheme, in the design itself, in the logo, there there are no rainbows, no unicorns, sunshine, anything like that. It's a little darker intentionally because I think that one of the things, one of the shortcomings of a mental health brand that solely focuses on you know the positive is the fact that this you know anxiety, depression, dealing with mental illness is a tough and sometimes long road. And I want to give the importance that that thing deserves, right? Or the notion that this battle is difficult. I want to, I want to symbolize that in my brand, and that's that's what we've done. There's a lot of different emotions and sort of like ideas that we're evoking with the brand. So the reason, you know, one reason why you know, there's a snake in the branding is like you could think of the mind as if it were a serpent or a snake, and how it coils around its prey, right? In the sense that if we take that idea that analogy and apply it, you know, to our brains or to our psyches, our minds can sometimes coil around us and make us feel as though, you know, we are trapped. We are in hopeless situations or something like that. And then I guess, you know, one other, like kind of the other side of that coin is the idea that serpents can be tamed, right? You know, the mind can be tamed a little bit. So being able to apply some of the strategies that I talk about in my books and podcasts and blogs and stuff like that, that can help us 
do that taming. So I think all of those things were important. I wanted to convey, you know, those different ideas and emotions. And then lastly, you know, there is an element of there in there that is sort of meant to be a little bit inspirational or aspirational. I listen to a lot of heavy metal. And so when me and my designer sat down to create this brand, you know, we came up with all different ideas and thoughts and like, you know, I guess designers would call it like a mood board or something where it's, you know, they'll have you go online, take pictures of different brands and just photos and whatnot, things that you like. And then you're sort of creating these different associations and trying to group things into buckets and say, hey, this is the overall tone theme that we want to strike. And as we you know, went through that exercise, we kept coming back to the notion of like heavy metal or some sort of like punk rock music or something like that. And I think that, you know, one of the elements of, you know, music, heavy metal music, heavy music in general, hardcore, something like that is this sort of determination or, you know, motivation, right? Where it's like, I wanted, I wanted to create a logo that wasn't like, you know, my logo is not meant to be terrifying. It's meant to do all the things that, or evoke all the emotions that we've already talked about thus far, but also get you a little bit excited, get you a little amped up, right? So when you see this snake that's snarling at, snarling at you, excuse me, it's, it's meant to have you look at it and say like, come on, like, let's go a little bit, right? And again, not to, I don't want, you know, I don't like to sell false bills of goods or anything like that. It's not meant to say like, hey, you know, if you, if you get inspired, you can just overcome anything. Again, this is a difficult journey, but we put all those messages together and that's the brand that we get for Get Out of Your Head. A lot of different emotions and stories in that one. Talk about one of the most profound experiences you've had with mental illness and how has it made its way into your writing? Yeah. So one story that I come back to quite a bit and it's in, it's actually the very first story in my first book. So I had just gone off to college. This was 2008 couple weeks into my experience at Boston College, I had met this girl that I liked. We hung out a couple times, seemed as though we liked each other, that sort of thing. And a couple days later, or, you know, you know, at the end of that, those couple of weeks or whatever, she texted me and basically, you know, I think it was a Friday night. And she said, she said that she was coming over and I was like, I'm excited because I like this girl, but I'm also terrified because, uh, you know, I had had a panic attack in front of a woman that I liked that I was on a date with a few months before that. And so that was kind of where my mind continued to go in my intimate relationships. And I always like, I knew that drinking helped me evade some of the overthinking and the anxiety. And on this particular night, I had not been drinking. So I could, you know, via her text messages and just the tone and the, the, the words that came through, it was very easy to see that she had been drinking. And so I guess I was just like, you know, I was nervous, not only because of this situation where I liked this person and I didn't know how things would transpire or anything like that, but also knowing that like she was intoxicated and seems as though she like, you know, was a little aggressive or whatever, right? Like via her text messages, like just maybe slightly out of control or something like that. I was very nervous. So she comes over and I'm, you know, I'm trying to prevent myself from falling into another panic attack, like the one that I had had a few months prior. And as soon as she sat down next to me, she could feel that my heart was racing. I don't know if she could tell that my palms were sweating or anything like that, or that I could barely focus and see, but I was definitely having a hard time. And as soon as she sat down, she could feel my heart racing and she got up and she was, you know, she was bewildered and she was like, oh my God, you're shaking. Like, what the heck is going on? Like, you're a freak, whatever, runs down the hall, runs back to her dorm. And that was the end of that night, which was very humiliating, definitely embarrassing woke up the next day and was kind of like, okay, this is two of those experiences in the last six or so months 
I really need to, you know, figure something out for myself. I need to, I guess, begin this journey and figure out what it is that I'm dealing with. And then from there, find a way to get past it or manage it. At that time, I didn't know a lot about anxiety. I knew that I got nervous. And that's basically what I would say to myself or what I would call it. So from there, it was really a process of, you know, diving on in and getting into the journey, listening to audiobooks, reading some books on the subject, uh, picking up a lot of the research and, you know, going to a therapist and whatnot, and just trying to manage, or I guess, number, I think I said it already, but figure out what it was that I was dealing with. And then from there kind of navigate the journey, you know, how that comes into my writing is, yeah, I think I mentioned it already, but that's the the very first story that I tell in my first book. And it kind of sets the scene, right? It's like, it's me jumping into that journey, kind of taking the, the, the reader on an adventure to say like, hey, I've been here before as well. Not like I'm not trying to compare my experiences with their experiences and say that what I've gone through is, is more difficult than what they have or anything like that. But it's just to say like, hey, here's an instance of anxiety that I've dealt with before. And now the rest of the book, we're going to try to... I guess, distill down some of the experiences that I've been through, including, you know, the one with the, the, the female in college and try to take some positive things away from them, whether those are perspectives, insights, strategies. So that was a foundational element of my first book. Do you have any current or upcoming projects that you're working on that people need to know about? Yeah. So right now it's a little bit of a mixed bag. I would say the, so my second book came out in November of 2021 last year. And then this year has been mostly focused around podcast appearances, getting blog posts out there, trying to engage my audience, right? With my email newsletter and whatnot. I am doing a slight update to my first book at the moment, just some edit, like small editorial stuff. And surprisingly, all that takes up a decent amount of time. I would say the other thing that takes up a lot of time is the fact that I am not, you know, I'm not doing this writing stuff full time. I, I have a, a full-time job as a software developer, which is great. And it's a, you know, it's a meaningful and, and fun job, but at the same time, it only leaves so many hours left in all the other days or, or in every day for me to be able to focus, to get out of your head brand. So I would say in time, I would love to write a third book. I have loose plans to do that, but it's a, you know, that sort of thing is a massive undertaking. So right now I'm, I'm kind of treading cautiously there, just you know, it, to commit to that is it's, you know, expensive from a time perspective. So just kind of, I don't know, figuring it out from there in time, I would like to start my own podcast, but again, another one of those time commitment things where it's like, I just got to figure out what the right balance is. So I don't have a great answer here. It's more just kind of plugging away, trying to, you know, continue to deliver content to my listeners and to my readers, because obviously well, for me, I can't write a book every six months. And right now I can't even do it every year, but you know, I want to be able to continue to deliver value to folks, even though the schedule doesn't necessarily permit for book three or book four or something like that. Well, so people can check out what you do have, throw out your website information and uh, any social media links that you might have. Cool. Yeah. So my website is getoutofyourhead.com. No dashes, no spaces in that. It's all one word. The social media platform that you'll find me active on today. And it is July of 2022. That would be Instagram. So the handle there is get out of your head, no spaces, no dashes on that either. I would say like, I've got some loose plan again, a lot of, a lot of plans, not necessarily anything concrete just yet, but you know, in the future, I would love to start my own podcast and then chop up some of the episodes and get them onto TikTok and whatnot. But for the moment I am not on TikTok. 
just got to be methodical with where I put my time. So yeah, get out of your head.com and then Instagram, get out of your head. Please feel free to reach out to me if you, you know, if you want to talk about something, if you, you know, if you want to share something with me, my DMs are always open. It's definitely not meant to be one of those like, hey, this is this expert in his ivory tower. One of the things I love most about the author journey, my journey has been connecting with readers and listeners and hearing some of the stories and experiences and I guess overcomings of hardships that listeners and readers have been, you know, kind enough to share with me. So please reach out if you feel that you want to. All right. Close the out with any final thoughts, maybe some stuff that you would like to touch on that we haven't talked about it. Just any final thoughts you got for the listeners. Yeah. Just reiterating that the notion, right. That, you know, whatever it's, it is that you're going through anxiety, depression, PTSD, something like that, know that you're not alone. Know that others are battling the same things right alongside you. And that, you know, there are people that are willing to listen, right? It's like someone like myself, a loved one, please reach out and get help if, if you feel as though you need it. If you feel as though you can't talk to anybody, you know, you could try to find a, a doctor or a therapist and you, or you could also reach out to me. I, I would reiterate that I am not one of those things. I'm not, you know, a trained clinician, but I'm just somebody who cares a lot and wants to help. So yeah, please, please reach out to me if you feel as though, you know, you have something that you, you want to get off your chest or communicate with me. And lastly, just, you know, hold on to the hope that things could get better because whatever it is that you're going through, like it will inevitably pass. It might not be tomorrow. It might not be a month from now, but in time, you know, it will pass. And I guess, you know, just holding on to the notion that it will, sometimes that helps gets us, get, get us through. So, you know, I commend everybody for, you know, being out there, being in the battle. It's not, it's definitely not easy. It's, it's very hard at times, but I think there's a lot of brave folks out there, especially folks that are listening and hats off to them. So. Ladies and gentlemen, get out of your head.com. If you know of anybody going through a hard time, please be sure to follow, rate, review, share this episode to as many people as possible. You can now also check out the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast on the Podbreed network. You can download the Podbreed app on Apple or Google Play and check out my show as well as all of the other wonderful shows on the network. Brian, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Curtis. For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream.